The following podcast is an RMG Media production. Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, a podcast for Renaissance women and men who want to create a modern day renaissance in their life and business. We interview some of the most successful entrepreneurs and share their unique stories. Are you ready to create your renaissance? Well, I am excited. I'm so excited to interview you because we went to an event together recently and mm-hmm. I didn't know you were going to be there. And it was an amazing event um, for women entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. really heavy on on women and funding and investing and really a well-done event. And um, I was sitting there next to, shout out Morgan from Brain Trust, who we just mm-hmm. had on the podcast, mutual friend of ours. Yes. And I saw you walk in and sit behind me. And I just was so like, this was meant to happen <laughs> because I've had so many people tell me, you need to have Brittany on your show. You need to have Brittany on your show. And I I think I just, I knew we would meet. I knew we would cross paths. And I wanted that day to happen before I just coldly was like, hey, I stalk you. Hello. <laughs> this is an email. This is, And I just was waiting and like, the Lord works in there amazing ways. And you just sat behind me and I, and I just like went like this to Morgan. I was like, <laughs> and then I had my moment and, you know, everyone broke and I was like, hi, I'm Sydney. I love you. Can you come on my show? Oh, and I loved it because we were standing right there in the room, which I always appreciate. It's like, why send the email when we can just schedule it? So we're like, I have my calendar. Do you have your calendar? Let's right. put it on the calendar. Man. So we just scheduled it right there. And the organ- just how organic it was. I left and I was like, that's a true gem right there because you were just like, I love that you have a show. I don't know who you are. This sounds great. What's your email? Let's schedule it. I'm available on October, whatever today is. And then here we are. And it's Let's lovely. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, okay. Well, I want to kick off the show kind of with a a couple of things. So you have this awesome quote in your podcast um, where you say, we believe that every experience is an opportunity for continuous improvement. Mm. And I love that. Yeah, that's really, that's a really moving, moving quote. It's so good because you you don't say every positive experience. You say every experience that we go through is an opportunity for continuous improvement. Yes. Like, just let that sink in. You know, we're all going through a lot. We're all having things happen to us that we can't prevent. You know, we're, we're all um, trying our best. We're, we're growing in our careers. We're trying to grow our businesses. Um, and, and we're learning through those experiences. I'd love to kind of hear you speak on that line and how that kind of formulated for you. Yeah, it, it actually formulated during a time that wasn't my best season. And so I was I was working in corporate. My background before starting Career Thrivers, I spent 12 years at Pfizer. And so at this particular moment when that like line kind of came to me, I was navigating a career disruption where I had turned down a big marketing role. It was the role I wanted. And I remember... Uh, this is pre-pandemic, also pre-me uh, stepping away from from Pfizer, which had an amazing career there, worked with so many brilliant people. But um, when people ask that inevitable question, you know, what do you do? And so I can remember I, I used to say, you know, I, I work I work for Pfizer, and I'd see their eyes kind of glaze over, and then I'd say, 
Pfizer's the company that makes Viagra. And then they were like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, now that's like not necessary because of the pandemic. Everyone knows, right. you know, who Pfizer is or, or that, that name, that brand recognition has, has gone to a different level. But um, during this particular time, I was actually interviewing for a role on the Viagra marketing team. And it was the first marketing role I'd ever interviewed for. And as was thought, and, you know, other people will share their advice for you based on their experience. And many people had had the experience of it taking them several shots before they got landed their first marketing role, especially transitioning out of sales. So completely different business function. I wanted to learn marketing. I believe marketing is the core of business. So I wanted to understand I was well versed and had done really well in sales. I'm like, I get it. We execute, we know the customer inside, outside, but like, how does this all come to be? Like, why are we going with this message with these customers this many mm -hmm. times? You know, I want to understand how all that kind of comes together. And so got some exposure to marketing. I'm like, okay, that's where I want to be. And so I'm like, okay, let me put my name in the hat and, and, and start down this path because people have told me it's going to take a few times before I get my shot. And so this Viagra role comes up. It's a digital marketing role. I'm like, yes, this sounds amazing. I've heard great things about the hiring manager. And I go through the process. I'll never forget. It was a Friday. I was living in Chattanooga. It was about 515 Eastern Standard Time. And I get this call. It's the hiring manager. And she's like, you know, I didn't want to hold you over for another weekend. I want to let you know we've decided to move forward with you. And I did probably the most unprofessional thing to do when you're offered a job. I screamed in the phone. <laughs> I was <laughs> I love that. so excited. I could not believe it. And after I got off the phone with her, I'm like, okay, do I call my then fiance, now husband, Joseph, or do I call the wedding planner? Because now our cocktail hour has got to be New York themed. I could see the subways as centerpieces on the tables. I'm like going down this path, you know, and of course I call my fiance and at long story short, we decided because we were about seven weeks out from our wedding, I was working in Chattanooga. This role was in the middle of Manhattan. He was in Nashville and he had applied and gotten a full, uh, full-time um, scholarship to Goizueta Business School to get his MBA in Atlanta. Oh, oh wow. my gosh. Jeez. So as life would have it, right, we say, it's easy to say, oh, family's first, you know, family right. comes first. But this was that moment of testing. And so I ended up turning down the job and that wow. started a cascade of what I now get to talk and teach a lot about, which is uh, career grief. Disappointed a lot of people. I was very disappointed. Like I was just all in on like, this is going to be an amazing opportunity. This is a global brand. Like this is, it's everything that I would want, except not the best time. And how are we going to make this work? And perhaps it's not the best time for, for our family to make this move. So Turned down the job. And of course, I didn't turn down the job at the company down the street, but at the company that I still had to show up in every day. And so that process for me uh, did two things. Not only did, did that quote come out of this moment, but um, it really taught me one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about the topic of personal branding is because I didn't know it then, but I had to learn what that meant because there were a lot of people who, because of that scenario, completely changed their perception of me. Right. They they there were a lot of opinions that, you know, I, I should have made the sacrifice and took the role. I had one mentor look at me and he's like, you know, you just committed career suicide here anyway. I'm like, oh, 
Okay. And it, it took me a few months, but I had to make a decision to, to own my narrative and really rewrite my story inside of that organization and ended up with an even better marketing role, full relocation package. It was the right time. My husband had a had gotten a job at Gensler up in New York. And so um, the waiting paid off. But that, that moment, that about 18 months really taught me that even in this really tough moment where, you know, I could, I could hang my head down. I can just like, oh, just let this moment pass, just get through it. Um, But I learned a lot during that time period that I still lean on today. Um, The other kind of reason for that line coming to me um, is based on my dad. So I'm, I grew up the only girl, youngest of three. And my dad would always tell my two older brothers and I that the biggest room in our house is the room for improvement. So kind of growing up with that mantra and, you know, parents that always valued education. Uh, My mom was one of the first students to integrate the University of South Carolina. She was a Gamecock and she um, just really always would share about the importance and the value of education. You know, this just idea of like always learning, always looking to get Mm -hmm. better, even when you believe you're at the pinnacle or if you're at the opposite, if you're like, you know, down in the valley, like there's an opportunity for you to learn and grow. Mm, Wow. Yeah, I was going to ask you before you kind of went into your parents' piece, which I'm glad you did, was just like, how do you have this like emotional, like maturity that you have? I feel like to have, to make that decision, to make that, you know, really well thought out decision of like, man, New York City and like this whole situation and turning that away, I'm sure the salary, everything, um, you know, that is a very emotionally mature way of thinking. And I just would be curious as to like, how you've gotten to that point. Cause I feel like you are such a wise person too. Oh, well, well, thank you. I, I'll tell you, you know, in the moment it, it was hard. It was probably, you know, one of, I would say the top four hardest moments of my life because w- and what I learned in, in, in that moment, looking back on it was that the grief that I experienced around the disappointment of not taking the job was less about not getting the job. It was more about letting all these people down. And so what I learned is that I, my sense of loss that I felt was around like this lack of trust now in people's confidence in me, right? Not only as a high performer, but as a decisive leader to decide that I want something and to actually go after it. I had disrupted that. And so their trust in me, was different. And so I had to go back and repair those relationships and have those tough conversations. And a lot of that wasn't like, you know, them reaching out to me, like I had to initiate that. And so I learned a lot during that moment, but it was certainly a time in my career where it's like, it could perhaps be easier to go after a marketing role at another organization. Cause like, <laughs> this is going to be tough to turn around, but, um, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And and if you are intentional and I, I truly have a deep value of ownership and not just like in the entrepreneurial sense, but like your career is yours. So even if you are working at a nine to five, it's your career. And how are you owning mm. that next step? How are you owning? Like, this is the experience that I want to have. This is how I'm navigating these conversations so that I can help people help me get here, right. you know? And so a lot of what I get to teach now, and I, and I say this often in talks, like I don't, you know, speak about the power of personal branding from like having Googled it. 
like there's research and stuff too that I bring to the table, but it's much of my lived experience and much of the lived experience of leaders that I've been able to coach that like, this is what it looks like to own your narrative. This is what it looks like to actually position yourself in a way that's aligned with who you actually are. So it doesn't feel like branding is like something that I'm putting on, but I feel like it's me and you're like living and leading in an authentic way that you don't have to like think about because every room you walk in, it's you. Every conversation that you have, it's you. Every time you post on social media, if you decide to scale your brand, it's you. And so kind of living from that position of truth includes those hard moments where it's like, okay, I could just shrink right now or I could rise to the occasion and and thrive through it. I like talking about ownership because I do think that is important. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't entrepreneurs. um, They're just working, you know, and you'll feel so much better in your life if you do take ownership of what you're doing or if you're at a place where you give a shit, you know? I see so many people that just kind of zombie out and they're just nine to five and they're not happy with what they're doing. And that's always like kind of sad to me because I get your your mindset of whatever, I just got to work. But then also on the flip side, it's like, well, yeah, you have to work. Most people do. You may as well love what you're doing and try and just be like, if you're even in a big, a big machine like Pfizer, like one of the biggest companies in the world, mm-hmm. uh, you may as well own it and make it yours. Yeah. Kill it. Show yeah. up every day and bust your ass and care about what you're doing. And if you don't want to work at a company the size of Pfizer, go find something that really speaks to you and do that. You know, make your impact somewhere, but care about it because you're going to mentally feel better. Oh, definitely. You know, definitely. And that that's really at the core of why I started Career Thrivers. And, you know, and even like the name, some people ask like, where did you, where did you get the name from? And it's like, well, we spend the majority of our Monday through Friday, best hours of the day, the sun is up, right, at work. So shouldn't it be a place where you are thriving, where you do feel that sense of purpose, alignment, like value, I'm excited about what I'm doing versus like the dread of, oh my God, I've got to go into this place and I can't stand it. And what that does, to your point, when you're in spaces like that. And when you have that kind of feeling around the work that you're doing, not that it's always roses and phenomenal, but when there's not a core sense of like, I belong here and I want to be here, it shows up in other areas of your life and it shows up in your body and in your health and in your well-being. And so it all kind of trickles down. So it's like, I believe when you're thriving in your career, oftentimes you're thriving in your personal life and vice versa is also true. Yeah. What wow. uh, year was all of this going? Was this pre-pandemic? This was. So I, let's see, we got married in 2014. So oh, okay. um, it was 2014 when I got the offer, turned it down. Like maybe like November, we got married in December. And then the role came back around, did like 2016, 2015 and 2016 was all like, you know, navigating this gap, this yeah. disruption inside of the organization. And then the end of 2016, and I, I remember it vividly. It was the 10th role that I had applied for. And I can re- remember praying like, Lord, if I don't get this one, I'm going to take it as a sign that I'm not meant to do marketing here. Oh, wow. Because I've done my due diligence. I've had the conversations. I put my name back in the hat. I've gone through these interview processes, been, you know, the second one, you know, we're sorry to say, like, I've gone through all of this. And if this one isn't it, it's fine. I'll go the sales leadership route and we'll be, we'll be good. <laughs> you know, um, and I got that last role and it was literally a role that was tailor-made for me. Wow. Tailor-made for me, like so the work that I was doing. Like yeah. And like the, the Viagra role before didn't have relocation. So our move was going to be on our dime. This was a full relocation package wow. with like all the bells and whistles. So everything about it was so redemptive in that like, 
it was like the God wink of like, you made the right decision yeah. years ago, you know, and this, this is the time and this is the role. Um, so yeah, so that was 2017. And then three months after, you know, we moved, we're like, okay, we're, we're doing this. Uh, my first best friend, my mother unexpectedly died three months after that. So a lot of the conversations that I have around grief are coupled with like this sense of, you know, disruption in your career, like these uh, phases of career grief that we experience that mirror very much so the experience of the loss of a loved one. So um, went through that in 2017 and then uh, moved back to Nashville the end of 2018 and then left Pfizer in 2019. Wow. That's great. Yep. Yep. So it's been quite a ride, yeah. quite a ride. Yeah. You've been on a journey and it's just inspiring to hear. I mean, just your whole story is just amazing. And then just your whole ethos now and just like giving back to people that are in that same boat where you were almost 10 years ago of like just discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. Um, so listening to your podcast, you said something recently in one of, one of the episodes that really resonated with me, just I think being in a position of uh, running a team and just like thinking of them. And you said, there are three keys to advancement in a career, the, the pie, I don't know if it would be called the pie method or just the pie kind of word. So performance, image, and exposure. And 90% of advancement in the workplace is image and exposure. That was like such a light bulb moment. And I actually talked to Walker about it earlier. Yeah. Like, you know, you think about the work people are doing. You think about kind of their job description and they can be putting their head down, putting the work in, checking that box and they're really getting work done. But they're wondering, why am I not advancing? And I, it's like you said, it's that, that image and that exposure. I would love to hear you speak on this a little bit more. Yeah, I would say especially for women, you know, this is a light bulb moment. And for me, you know, my, my personal story is that I, I grew up an athlete. So I grew up playing basketball and then in high school started doing volleyball and track and other things. And so particularly basketball was my primary sport. And I can remember, um, especially with AAU, you know, basketball is a competitive sport, but I was never really a talker on the court because I didn't have to. Like my stats spoke for me. I was on a winning team. I was a main contributor in the win. So like I didn't have to do all of the extra because I just enjoyed playing the game and I was good at the game. And so then I took that same perspective into corporate and it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, wait, what do you mean? Like I'm, I'm working hard. I'm first one in, last one to leave, doing the extra work, doing the projects. And it's three years and I'm still in this spot. And no one has said, hey, Brittany, we see how great your stats are. What right. do you think about this next role? You know, so like taking this mindset of like I can work hard or work my way into what's next. That, that statistic, uh, a management consulting firm did, did that research around the those three keys to career advancement. And so the 10% being performance doesn't mean that performance doesn't matter, but it means that performance is table stakes. So in order to advance, like you have to be a top performer. But then beyond that, the reason why sometimes you can look up and say, well, wait, that person has been here less time or this person just joined the team why do they have such a great rapport with the leader? Or why are they getting asked to do all these amazing things? Well, perhaps it's because they've mastered the image and exposure piece, which coupled together really is, you know, the quote unquote work of personal branding. But it's about, you know, getting your head up. It's about, um, for a lot of women, you know, sometimes we think that talking about our work is bragging, you know, or sharing how we're adding value. It's like, oh, I don't really want to toot my own horn or I feel uncomfortable around that. You know, and I was very much the same way. I had had the same mi mindset early on in my career, but I had to learn that like, well, 
and I have the experience now of being a people leader, when you're leading 10, 12, 15 people, you don't know the ins and outs of all of the things that that person is doing to get to the end result or the additional work that you didn't even know that they had to do to get to the end result unless they're telling you that, right? Unless within the one-on-one conversations, within the team meetings, those nuances are coming up. And so that's why that ownership piece is important because even in terms of your career development, like it's on you to own those conversations to ensure that your leader, your leader's leader, understands the value, the impact that you're bringing to the work that you're doing so that then your name does come up. You are thought of when it comes time for advancement or different projects or things that lead to more exposure in a more traditional work setting. And I think people could hear that maybe and think, well, I'm such an introvert, you know, and I'm like, I'm in my shell and I'm just, you know, but I'm doing a good job and I know I am. What would your advice be to to that person? Yeah. One, I would say I see you and I hear you <laughs> because believe it or not, you know, and, and that's how I know like my, the thing, the superpowers that I have are God-given because I am naturally an introvert and most people don't believe that, but like I recharge alone. I'm good. Just be like, and it's not necessarily that you're shy. I don't like people. I love people. But like when it comes down to like, can I just be with me? Yes. (laughs) You know, absolutely. That's the common misconception. Everyone thinks if you're an introvert, you are in your shell, but really you just need more time to recharge. That's how I need to recharge. Yeah. Like I need, I, I realized that I always thought I was extroverted. But then as I got older, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I, I could be friendly and talk to people, but, like, I need a solid, like, two or three days to just, like, be alone. Same <laughs> way. Just, yeah. Yeah, that after the work time, it's yeah. like I'm not the super chatty, you know, walking into the house. It's like, you know, and I remember, like, early on in our marriage, even uh, with my husband, like, it, it took some time to be like, oh, yeah, like, she needs a few minutes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, like, come in, get settled, like, chill, you know, and then she's ready to talk <laughs> about the day, you yeah. know, and, and share all the details. But, um. You know, and, and, and it, it's ironic because I believe that's what oftentimes makes great salespeople so great, like roles that are perceived to be more extroverted in nature. Like oftentimes introverts are the best at those roles because they're very mindful. They have great emotional intelligence. Like they're not just going to throw spaghetti at the wall, but like they're really going to be intentional with their words to like make the sale. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a common misperception. But, yeah, because of that. For me, I had to learn how to, in a way that felt authentic to me, communicate what I was doing and the values that I was bringing to my team and to the organization so that that exposure, that image piece could be there. So for me, it looked like, you know, and if you are an introvert, consider thinking about a tool to track that, whether it's like simply a Google sheet or some kind of form to say, hey, you know, here are my wins for the week so that when I'm going into my one-on-one meeting with my manager the next week, here are two things that I'm going to pick out to make sure that they know, hey, these were wins from last week. So they're hearing me communicate this. And so it becomes less about like, I have to be an extrovert to always talk about myself, but more about how can I be intentional to ensure that the value that I know that I'm bringing, all of these extra things that I'm doing to get to these results is seen and it's valued. And it's my job to ensure that that's happening, not my not my managers. Mm. Are there certain red flags that you point out to people that like certain workplaces that you're just not able to thrive? Like if you don't even have the opportunity for a one-on-one to share with your boss to even put yourself in that position? Yeah, that could be a sign. I would also say, you know, values alignment, I think is is the first piece. So what is important to the company and is it aligned with what you believe is important? And in instances where I, I was doing a couple of talks um 
earlier this week uh, over at Alliance Bernstein, and it was for their more senior level women. And this conversation came up of like, you know, what do you do in an instance where you maybe don't have the best rapport with your leader and you maybe are being shut down if you're trying to have conversations about the work that you're doing? You know, how do you ensure that that work comes to light? And so there are a couple of things like one having a practice of, if it's not formalizing your company, of skip level meetings where you're getting visibility with your leader's leader. And then two, making sure that even if you aren't asked to have the meetings, you're initiating a cadence of meetings with your leader to say, hey, you know, and you coming with the agenda and you saying, hey, here's not only what I'm working on, but here's me looking forward in my career. Right. And here's what I want to do next. And I think, again, that is a demonstration of ownership, a yeah, demonstration of like, you know, this is my career. I want to make sure that we are aligned with like, here's where I am, but also here's where I want to go. And just having that level of intention. But the the, the skip level visibility is critically important. Like, and even if that structure isn't there, you being curious enough to create it and you being curious enough to get out of the silo of like your business unit, your department, your team to get exposure to other areas across the organization is phenomenal. And within larger corporations, typically employee resource groups or business resource groups are a great way to do that. So affinity groups and, and projects like that oftentimes will open you up to get more visibility with other areas of the business. And then again, it's on you to cultivate those relationships. Mm. What about in a smaller business setting? Like with teams, 10 to 15 people, like what would your tips be for people that work in smaller organizations to kind of get that visibility up? Yeah. So I think in smaller organizations, you can assume that the visibility is it's there. kind of there built yeah. in, right? right? And I think that could be a slippery slope though to then not communicate. Because you think, oh, well, there are less people here. Surely they know what I'm doing. They yeah. see me physically. Right? They see me every day. You assume you're being have, heard, but you're not. But sometimes you're not. Like the nuances of what you're bringing to the table aren't being considered. Aren't, aren't, your leader may not even be aware of them. So I would say it's still just as important in a smaller organization to have those conversations. But also I would say to be thoughtful about what matters to your leader. So startup, mid-sized organization, or large organization – um, there's this V word that we throw around on the internet a lot that I don't think we um, fully unpack what it means. And that's value, right? Everyone wants to mm. quote unquote add value. Well, value, much like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like value means Subjective. usefulness, right? So like what's valuable to you might be different than what's valuable to me. You have to consider like one, who am I talking to? And it could be obvious. It's like, oh, I'm talking to my manager, but really that question is uncovering like what is important to them, which is the second question. So what do they care about? So the context of your leader, you need to know, right, as a team member, what are their goals? What is their vision? What are their aspirations? What do they care about? And then the third question is, well, then what do I have to add or to share that helps them to advance those things that are important to them? And that's really how you show up, I think, in any size organization, but particularly in a smaller one, to create opportunities where there aren't any. That's really the beauty of working inside of a startup or a smaller organization. It's like, well, there's not usually this career ladder or org chart of like, you know, here's the path for you to advance, but you have the flexibility usually to create opportunities based on understanding what matters to the owner or to to the leader. Right. Mm. Yeah, we're kind of in that situation right now where we have a very, very small team. And, uh, you know, 
we don't really have, we kind of, we have trajectory and like a bit of a roadmap. And that was one of our goals for this year. And like kind of end of last year, we restructured our organization to kind of create some form of trajectory. But also the, that's the biggest thing that I think we look for. And like the biggest thing that I take away with my job every day is like, you create your own opportunity. And, uh, that's kind of the hard thing to instill in a younger person who's starting their career and they don't really know what that means. And they don't really, they're like, well, I just kind of want to work. I like what we're doing. And it's like, all right, we'll go create some opportunity. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wait, what? I don't really get that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that that entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, especially I think it's an advantage because generally speaking, Gen Z and millennial generations are more entrepreneurial, especially Gen Z, but you still have an opportunity to, I always say, I think one of the best places to learn how to run a business is working at one. And so you can really leverage like that entrepreneurial spirit of like, how do I create the opportunity? Where are the gaps? What's important to my leader? How can I solve for that to create some of the same entrepreneurial kinds of experiences inside of an organization? It's really interesting. It's like just the level of care, yeah. you know, it's like, that's the, I, I was never a very good student. Um, I always like the school, I always hated it. Like I always thought that I really hated learning. And I think it was really just like, I didn't like doing book work and homework and stuff. Mm-hmm. But now my life, I'm mainly motivated by learning new things, whether it's something in business. Like I love talking to you about this and hearing your story. And that's why I love doing this podcast, even though I, feel burnout with it sometimes or I'm like, (laughs) this is fun because I like to talk and hear different perspectives. But like same thing with video work. I'm deeply inspired by other creators. So I love to try new things and push myself. And I love to learn in that way. But really how I found success in this role is by caring. It was about caring about our clients and their businesses. And it's a way that I've, I've used that level of caring to, uh, improve my sales approach to the point where I'm asking them questions, not just about how their marketing works or whatever, but like how they, you know, brew their beers and stuff. Like I want to hear about their operational process and learn about their business and what it's like dealing with, you know, their employees and their struggles and all that stuff. And it makes them realize like, oh, Walker really is interested in what we're doing here. That's someone that we can see working, you know, within our team and doing our marketing or whatever. And I just think it's, you can't make people care the same as you, but I swear it makes the biggest difference. It does. It does. Yeah. I think it's the key to unlocking the power of sales, you know, because a lot of people hear sales. I think when I say people specifically, some entrepreneurs who are like, I just want to create the thing and like, just go do it. And I don't really want to sell it because like it, there's this paradigm in in their mind that um, selling is aligned with like this picture of like a used car salesman. You know, yeah. you, you hear that ana- analogy a lot. But I really similar walk to what you were saying, like see sales as service, because if you understand that your potential client has a gap and you have something that could help to fill it, then you're doing them a service by exchanging a transaction to ensure that their need is met. Yeah. But you only know that if you care enough to right. ask the right questions, to be curious, not just to like get your thing sold, but like to really understand your customer. Yeah, you realize the value that you are adding. Like when you when you care about what you're doing, you realize what that value is and what you bring to the table for them. And then, yeah, it's not selling. It's yeah. just 
we're just having a conversation and I know I'm going to help you and you're going to help me. And that's a really unique perspective to take on. I've never really thought of it like that. I've always just kind of thought of like our sales pitches as like a sales pitch, but it never has, it never has felt like that. And the times where it does feel like that, we usually like don't get the yep. deal. Yep. It's funny. <laughs> Psycho- totally. Psychology. I mean, yeah. it's, well, it's kind of like the root word of our, all of us, what we do, it's a serve this, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're there to serve yeah. the client. Sure. And I feel like that's, you know, when you come to a prospect and it's like, you know, you're, you're your most authentic self, you're your most genuine self, they're going to feel that, you yeah. know, they're going to feel, oh, they genuinely just want to help me. And they have all the the data and, you know, the practices and resources to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'd love to know, like, you know, I mean, I, I want to take this conversation kind of two ways. So personal branding, you, you mentioned that, and you are someone that does it so well. You have, and and when I, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show. And I think that you are such a perfect example of someone who is running a business, CEO of this very successful business, but you also have a very successful personal brand that is separate from the business, but also works sympathetically with the business. It's like this beautiful, like Brittany Cole can live on her own any day, all day, like on Instagram, on LinkedIn, like you're, you just show up in so many different communities and the business can too. But when you come together, it's really beautiful and it's, it feels very intentional and it feels very strategic. And I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Cause I think as entrepreneurs, we, we struggle with that. We struggle with, I've got my business and I've got my business Instagram account, but then I'm also me. And, and, and I always tell our clients, like, you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of a church and state separation. So, and you just, for everyone that's listening, go look at how they do it. It's, it's very, very well executed. I'd love to hear kind of what your strategy is. Well, thank you. Because <laughs> as the saying goes, you know, you are your own worst critic. So, so, so sometimes I'm like, are we are we, are we doing it well? Because like, I feel like we're not doing it good at all. <laughs> so so thank you. Thank thank you for that encouragement. No, I, it, it is intentional, but I, I, I believe the intentional part comes in in the knowing who you are, where you're trying to go and why. And I think so often, especially with, when it comes to entrepreneurship, like we can kind of be on this hamster wheel of trying to decide what is working and so deeply into the doing that we haven't taken a step back to understand like, well, one, like, where am I really trying to go? Like, what really is the vision? Not like, what's this template for how I can like put a nice vision up on my website, but like, where do I actually see this company going? What is my role in it? And then why is that important to me? And then what are the steps that I need to get from where I am to that place, insert, you know, strategic objectives, goals, and all the things. So it is intentional in that way. The other piece to the personal branding side of things that I always like to just communicate, you know, I think sometimes we start with the last step first. And I think the last step in your personal brand is social media. Like I don't see, I I don't believe that social media is my personal brand. I believe social media is a tool I use to scale my brand. Mm. I'm not creating my brand on social media, but I'm leveraging that network to scale the brand that's already there. So it's like before you get to which platform am I going to be on, which colors, which Canva template am I using today? It's like, you know, 
who am I? Like, where am I trying to go? And what's the message? And and in terms of your personal brand, I think that's the easiest place to start, you know, because it's you. So then again, then what's the first step? I believe the first step is self-awareness. It's like a deeper understanding of who you are, what matters to you. Like, I believe the three probably most powerful questions you can ask yourself are, what do I want? Higher order question, why do I want it? And then the third question is, who do I know that can help me get there? Because any big vision requires community, requires other people, it requires collaboration to get there. And so I think when you have a better handle on those three questions, it allows you to show up in spaces more authentically. And then you get to add all the bells and whistles because any graphic designer, marketing agency, you know, you go to, like you're, they're going to ask you the strategic questions to better understand, great, you want these beautiful assets, but like in order to do what? You want them to say what? Like what's your right. message, you know? So it's like you have to kind of do that bit of introspection and soul searching to get there. And then I think you figure out and you strategize around like, you know, how do the two go together, similar to what you were saying. So in, in, in selling a service with career thrivers that, you know, is at least today, um, largely dependent upon, you know, my personal brand. I'm able to leverage my expertise in the leadership development, in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space to get the foot in the door. So for me, um, my, you know, gift, I call it my divine deposit is teaching and speaking. I love doing that. You know, if it's like, what's the, if you had to take everything away and only do one thing, like it'd, it'd be that it'd be encouraging and equipping leaders to thrive, you know? And so, but through that, for me as a service, doing it professionally, it also becomes great marketing for these other things to then, when we're working with corporations, being able to scale up to larger engagements to bring in a team and do, um, you know, more work. So I believe for any, especially service-based entrepreneur, leveraging your personal brand um, is a great way to go. Now, of course, I acknowledge there can be a bit of a slippery slope depending on how you want to exit. So, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, becoming acquired and making sure that like your service can stand on its own without you, I think there's some due diligence there. But I would say most founders that I have had the privilege of sitting down and talking to that have sold their company or are doing really, really well, like Donald Miller comes to mind. I was just with him yesterday. He has a, a mastermind That's that I'm so a part cool. of. <laughs> Loved he has Miller. this incredible mastermind. He that he that he's he he started. Um, there's a group of black founders that he's been pouring into for like two years now. That's awesome. And so you know, if you look at his business and business made simple, it's like I asked him a question the other day about like Black Friday. I'm like, what are y'all doing for Black Friday? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, goals. Like, I, like <laughs> I, like I am working towards being able to not answer any questions in Career Thrivers because someone else owns that. I have no clue what we're doing. I have no clue what's happening. Someone else you know, is on that. Someone else does that, right? Like, I have no idea. Yeah, that's the goal. You know, but if you look at how he built his business, you know, it was really centered around like his writing, like his core thing. And then he was able to build systems and structures and put those in place. And he, he tells a great story about like that awareness of like, oh, he didn't really have a mentor of his, you know, he didn't have the system in place to really scale a business. He was seeing seeing growth and, and seeing his business advance. And then he had to create the system by which this business can operate without him, or at the very least, with him operating in his zone of genius, like operating in his, you know, creating content and writing and speaking and all of those things. So I see career thrivers modeled in the same way. You know, I, I often tell people, um, in, in my mind, the work that we do today um, the vision for it is like a Franklin Covey meets John C. Maxwell meets Oprah, right? And so like it can Love. it can live on its own. 
you know, it, it will eventually have its own CEO and like be moving and shaking. And then I can like write and speak and, and have a TV show and do this, do this, these, this cool creative stuff over here. So yeah. that's the vision. That's where we're headed. I you didn't ask that. that question, but you know, well, I, how, how I, got there. No. I like to see that. That's so cool. Yeah. Which also Donald Miller. Awesome. I mean, like awesome. one of the best follows on Instagram totally. to just like feel motivated and positive. Yeah. I love, I love it. He posted once a little while ago about, uh, it was like five ways to know that you're with the right person in your life. And I was watching the video and I was like, all right, do the test. See if my girlfriend's really the one. <laughs> and oh, then no. I was, and then all five of them, it like check, checked check, the check. box. I and I was like, that. oh, this is cool. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I would love to shift gears a little bit because, I mean, you are so brilliant with speaking to leaders. And I, I love just hearing you talk about that. I've, you know, listened to your show, seen all your videos on your Instagram. Just would love to hear, like, what are some of your favorite pieces and nuggets for for leadership. You know, I think we have a lot, like I said, a lot of inter- entrepreneurs listening, a lot of people. I mean, everyone's a leader in some way, right? Mm-hmm. So just like... Share it to us, Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think the first thing that I would say that comes to mind is that being a subject matter expert or being a high performer in an organization, being great at what you do, doesn't automatically translate to you being a leader of people. And so people leadership, I believe, is a different skill set. Like you can be great and it takes skill to be great. It takes, you know, a lot of great core competencies to be great, right? Um, but being able to then bring the greatness out of other people is a different skill set. So for a lot of people who maybe don't have, you know, high emotional intelligence or um, are able to kind of perceive and be flexible when it comes to the needs of different people and how I need to adjust as a leader to bring the best out of other people, like those are skills that I believe you have to develop one. Uh, The second thing that I would say is I see leadership as a privilege. And so because it's a privilege, then I believe the onus is always on the leader to be the chameleon. When I say be the chameleon, I mean, in the traditional corporate setting, sometimes there's an interview question when it comes to people leader roles of like, what's your leadership style? And that question always gives me pause because I'm like, well, it really doesn't matter what my leadership style is because I need to flex my leadership style to what will bring the best out of Walker because he's on my team. So however I need to show up to ensure that I connect and to ensure that I am, you know, providing what he needs in order to be his best, that's the leadership style that I need to take on, which might be very different from the leadership style that I need to bring the best out of you. So I think like the leader has to become flexible in that way to really deprioritize ego to say, I need to understand and connect with my people so that I know how to bring the best out of them. And that might look different times 10 or 15 or how many other people are on your team, you know? Um, And the last thing that I would say is there are levels to leadership. And so you mentioned this. And so at Career Thrivers, we build most of our instructional design around four levels of leadership. So the first is personal leadership, you know, leader, being a leader of self. Um, The second, and that's like everyone kind of falls into that space. It's often, I believe, one of the most overlooked um, areas of leadership, better um, being a, be more aware and better understanding who you are and your identity and how that impacts and shows up in how you interact and engage with other people. So there's a leader of self, a leader of people, right? That's your 
manager, a team leader. Then there's a leader of leaders, meaning the your direct reports have direct reports, right? And so there are different competencies that are needed when you are leading leaders that have direct reports. And then the fourth level is an organizational or executive leader, right? That person definitely needs to be visionary, needs to be thinking ahead, needs to be staying in their lane and their superpower, needs to be able to um, tap into innovative ways of thinking because they are um, not so much typically in a traditional setting caught up in like the internal operation of the org, but where the org is going. Um, So we oftentimes will design our a leadership curriculum along those four levels, but really understanding like where you kind of fall on those on those uh, four levels, but also kind of where you aspire to grow to, I think is something really important to develop your capacity. And I said that was the last thing, but the fourth and final <laughs> thing that I'll say <laughs> on leadership, because I could just run a list of 20 here, yeah. you know, I love uh, it might be my favorite topic, but um, <laughs> it's also um, developing your leadership capacity doesn't happen automatically. So like, how are you being intentional to become a better leader, right? And what does that look like even as an entrepreneur, right? Most entrepreneurs say, things were great until I started hiring, you know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. Preach. The business was going good until I brought in a team. And it's like, guess what? Skill set is being exposed. Yeah. Your leadership, right? No lack, so, yeah. so yeah, I mean, it's it's something that you have to be in tune with and be, in, be intentional about. It's so, so hard. Yeah, it is. I was going to say, like, you know, the biggest thing that you, that would probably be the most beneficial to me <laughs> is the uh, adjusting like how you lead dependent on the person because everyone's different. Chameleon. Um, what if you can't be a chameleon? What if you like. <laughs> Toxic trait. What if I'm not pause? What if I can't help someone? What if I, I'm not good at like that <laughs> thing? <laughs> how do you work at that? It's a hard like that. I get it. You got to learn and like try it, but bring up love languages. You know, like I don't. Uh, I maybe don't really understand all of them at all. But someone is really, like, responds to a particular thing. Well, in context, because Brittany doesn't know you very well, I mean, Walker has a lot of empathy. He has so much empathy, which I don't think he realizes is such a strength. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, I would love your thoughts on this, but I kind of think that's what you're saying when you're saying being a chameleon. Just have empathy, which really Mm -hmm. means just care. And uh, so that is a strength of yours. So you're making it sound like you are like kind of just a wall, but you actually are a very big hearted person. Well, yeah, I guess. But I guess I just don't really like leadership. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let me whisper that into the mic. Maybe maybe the team won't hear. (laughs) I think it's just like to me, like I I wish that it was like a one size fits all. You know, is that yeah. a thing in business? You like, because I feel like we try and hire people that fall into that category, but that has not really worked for us because people are different. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. It's funny. I've had this conversation. So I don't have children yet, but uh, when I have this conversation with leaders who have kids, they often bring up the example of like, yeah, it's like parenting, right? Like these two kids were brought up in the same home with the same parents. They're like night and day. It's like one's not even raised in our home. You know, so like you have those experiences where, you know, people are just different. And then they'll share stories about how because of that, the way that they parent their son 
you know, that's the oldest might be different than they parent the son that's in the middle because those two boys are different. So they need different things from the parent. Right. So I think much like leadership, not to say that leadership is synonymous to parenting. I know that that can go have a slippery slip there too. <laughs> but, you know, similarly speaking with just the ability to be able to adapt, I think you're right. It does start with care which then helps you to become more aware so that you can actually make a connection with the person. And so I think that empathy is a huge foundation to great leadership. It's like, how am I putting a pause on how I would think about this, how I would solve this, you know, what I would do in this instance to understand the point of view of the person that I'm leaving, leading, and then to create an opportunity where I'm, where I'm, able to better understand their perspective. And then if I need them to do something different in the scenario, I have more context as to why they're making this decision, mm. which I believe helps the leader really go from a leader to really being a coach. There's a great framework uh, from Ken Blanchard on situational leadership that I think is one of the best models when it comes to how do you transition from being um, a leader in the like traditional authoritarian sense to really becoming a coach. And it's very similar to this idea of being a chameleon, right? Like the framework essentially says that based on not just the person, but their level of competency in the area, you might need to adapt between delegating, directing, coaching, right? Like based on their level of understanding with the with the project or the assignment that they've been given, right? Which in my mind is an even higher level order of not just understanding the person, but understanding their capacity to complete certain assignments based on their skill set and competency. So that's why I go back and say, like the way that some organizations approach leadership, which is how do we promote the best performer? does not always equate to the person being in the best role to become the leader. And that's why even if you think about sports for a second, some of the best coaches haven't done what they've coached their players to do, right? But they're great at coaching. Like Tim Grover comes to mind. He has a phenomenal book uh, called Relentless. He was um, a trainer, not a coach, but a trainer for uh, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. And so he doesn't have seven rings, right, or six rings or five rings, you know. He 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 he's, he hasn't been an MVP in the NBA, but he's been able to coach those two high-level uh, celebrity players that we all know know their names and, and, and love them to bring the best out of them because he has that skill set. And so I think leadership is the same. I don't necessarily believe everyone is a level two, three, or four leader. Some people are a level one leader. You're a great leader of self. Continue to work in that space until you develop your capacity to bring the best out of other people. Because at the end of the day, that eventually trickles down to the bottom line, like it trickles down to the business, especially in, really, I was going to say especially in large organizations, but large or small where you see higher levels of attrition. And in the average corporate organization, every time someone leaves, it costs an organization anywhere from fifteen dollars to $45,000, depending on their salary and their role and upwards of that if they're more senior. So it's like the lack of leadership capacity to create a culture where people can actually thrive actually costs the business more than it would to develop that leader so that they can actually bring the best out of people so mm. that they are retained within the organization, which is a lot of the work that we do. So it is a tall order, you know, yeah. it does oftentimes take more time, but in the end, you know, it's worth it. And um, I'm thinking about a, a very successful exited entrepreneur 
that I was having a conversation with earlier this year, and she was talking to me about her career journey and about how, uh, similarly to I think where you were going, Walker, she's like, you know, that just wasn't my thing. That's how she would say it to me. She's like, you know, that just wasn't my thing. Like, I'm not a people person. I'm not like, I know how this business is going and where it's going. And like, that's my thing. But all the rest of this is not my thing. She's like, you know, I hired a CHRO and a COO to do that. And that was their thing, you know? So I think there are examples of that, right? And and her business did really well. She sold the business. And, you know, so I I think there are examples of that. But again, it goes back to that self-awareness of like knowing your strengths and then hiring for your gaps. As yeah, an executive I think leader. that's the key. It's like, you know, know your strengths higher for your gaps. I love that. Yeah, that's it's that's going to be the name of this podcast. Episode. I yeah. think it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> there, it's done. I, I do think that's like the only solution to it. It's I do think there needs to be some extent of you got to learn how to do it a little bit. Like oh, you yeah. definitely like oh, if yeah. you're going to be like thinking if you're a solopreneur looking to make your first hire, learn how to try and lead that person fail. If you hate it, you hate it. And you're just going to realize like, I, I don't want to do this. And then, you know, as you continue to grow and develop, but higher out, you know, I, and it's, I love that you're saying this. Cause I mean, when you're running a small business and if you have that dream and you've done the work and you know, in order to scale it, it's going to take people when you're make, you know, based on your cash flow and your profit, I mean, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. If it's this way or the highway, you you have to learn the skills. You have to constantly be working on yourself um, in order to get to that point where you can hire, you know, for someone. And we just this week got to the point where we're bringing on a fractional HR company because- Oh, awesome. Not because I'm throwing in the towel. Yeah, totally. Because I'm like, just trying to scale this yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Got to take care of my people yeah. and have compliance and make sure we're doing things legally and, and correctly and and just and also just um, you know compassionately and well. Um, what are like? How can we become better leaders though? For those of us that you know aren't there, to, you know, just want to be better leaders. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say listen to the feedback that you're getting, and if you're not getting feedback, that's a sign. Right. And so I believe second to marriage, entrepreneurship is the best mirror to show you you. Like, I don't think there's anything like I haven't had a role, at least, you know, maybe there are some and I'm sure maybe more executive C-suite level, you know, Fortune 500 roles are probably similar um, in essence. But in my experience, second to marriage, entrepreneurship is like, oh, that's a gap. That's a strength, but that's a big weakness. Oh, you need to work on that. What the mm-hmm. heck were you thinking there? Like, you did a really terrible job there. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa. Like, I did not see any of these blind spots when I was, you know, inside of this safety net right. of making my six-figure salary and my cute bonus every quarter. It's like, it was, I didn't see any of this stuff. <laughs> like, I thought it was amazing. You know, I'm not so much. You know, so <laughs> so it will show you you. And I think because of that, you know, that that level of honesty in how are you creating a feedback loop for yourself as the leader to get a better understanding of how you can become better if you aren't seeing it yourself, you know? And then I would say when you get that feedback, listen to it. Bigger organizations um, oftentimes will have like exit interviews when people leave. I think it's a great practice for smaller orgs to have, but I also think there's a um, thing in the... Um, human resources space space called um, 
like stay interviews as well. So like, what is the cadence of receiving feedback from your team so that you understand not only how they're experiencing your work environment, but how you're showing up for them as a leader so that you're getting that feedback just as much as you want to give it so that you can understand what your gaps are. And then I would say for leadership development specifically, while I believe it's important to focus in on your strengths, I think you do need to be aware of and decide where it makes sense for you to work on areas that are your gaps. Because oftentimes, and this might be a tough one to swallow, but just stay with me for a second, right? Oftentimes, high turnover is a sign of underdeveloped leadership, leadership that can be improved, right? So if you find yourself in a space where, you know, I made a new hire, they came on board, they're not getting the work done, it's faster and easier for me to just do it myself. Then why am I paying them? Then, oh my goodness, they're not getting it done. They got to leave because I'm I'm upset every time payroll comes around and I got to pay them and they have not done what I've asked them to do. And you cycle in that space, person after, listen, the common denominator it's you. is you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I, I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. It's like, it's not them. Yeah. It's, you know, it's really, you. it's so true, man. And like, I think speak, knowing our, our industry, you know, and, and maybe yours too, just the small agency space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a lot of other friends that run agencies and we've all been in rooms before. Where we're like, man, there's so much turnover in small <laughs> agency life. Mm-hmm. And we're, it's so easy to just be an ego and be like, yeah. yeah Gen Z, come right. on. <laughs> Blame exactly. a whole generation. Just blame a whole, whole generation. Like our parents did with the millennials. Totally. Yeah. totally. And it's like, you know, it, it's, I think there's a, there's a common thread there of like, well, if you're running an agency, a social media agency, you're probably a millennial at this point and you are young and, and not to say we're all to blame, but yeah, totally. And, and that is, is so true. And it's, it's, are you willing to do the work? Yeah. Are you willing to take that mirror and look at yourself and yeah. really look at yourself and really have that time to just have self-awareness and let yourself feel and let yourself under, know that there are so many things that we have to work on. But what an awesome uh, knowing. What yeah. an awesome thing when you have that knowing of like, man, there, wow. I, I just, you were saying it just a minute ago. I, I feel like this year for me has been like, I just feel like someone took a shoe and just <laughs> smacked my, you know, where it's like I've uncovered so much about myself that I didn't even realize. And, you know, it's like. It's been a I, lot of self-reflection. It's this been year. a lot of self-reflection. We There's even covered so- it this morning. We had a conversation about how Sydney spirals a little bit. And I called her, something happened this morning. And then I was like, so that's what I was going to talk to you about. <laughs> you spiral yeah. and then you spiral. And then that causes, you know, leaders, you know, when we spiral, everyone feels it. Totally. It spreads and then it can become toxic. Yeah. And that, and I said that this morning, I was like, all issues within organizations stem from the top. Totally. And Ouch. leaders don't like to hear that. And I'm no. like, listen, I'm just a messenger. But yeah. like, this organization looks a lot like the leader. Yeah. And so if, and if you aren't at a space, and I think what keeps us from like being open enough to really, when you ask like, what are things that leaders can do? Like, 
plainly check your ego because oftentimes what keeps us from making the improvements, it's our wanting to prove that we're right or wanting to prove that it's not that bad or wanting to prove that it's someone else's fault, the reason things are the way that they are. But even going back to the the hiring example, it's like if you brought someone into the organization and you hired them to do one job description, but then your expectation of them are these 20 other things that they did not interview for. And they're coming into the organization, not knowing that like, this is a part of your job. Oh, but Hey, it's a startup. And so we just roll up our sleeves and get things done. And it's like, well, hold on a second, because is this the right person to do the 20 right. extra things that they didn't know that they were going to do? And then there's no conversation around, here's the expectation. Here's how we're going to track and, um, you know, measure your your performance and your improvement, like your scorecard. You know, there's not a system in place to help to support their performance. And then it's like, oh, well, another one bites the dust. That's on the leader. So yeah. it's like, how do you become aware of that? Sit with it and then make a plan to, to improve it. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think the employee is changing, you know, like, totally. so like Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But like, I don't think they... I don't want to say they don't care as much, but they're definitely not putting up with as much bullshit as like people <laughs> do. They'll leave a job. They'll be like, I'll quiet quit. I'll whatever the term is they yeah. say on TikTok. They'll do that and go yeah. to some other job and be fine and be like, I don't care. Like they're see, I know, you know, they're the bandwidth the of bandwidth like and like resumes are becoming like year stays or whatever. And oh, that's yeah. becoming more common. And I guess employers definitely. are kind of just like, well. We'll take what we can get, I guess, because it's just a weird world. Yeah. 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 It's a completely different set of values where, like, you know, my parents are baby boomers. They wanted to—longevity was a value. So if you mm. could stay at the organization until you got the gold watch, until you got, you know, whatever it was to, to showcase your tenure there, that mattered most. Where for many Gen Zers, they really want—and millennials, too, it's like you want— that sense of purpose, but you also want to know that you're contributing to the work that's being done. And uh, that feedback, you know, becomes really important for, for younger generations. And so, um, as, as well as development, that that's a big one as well. Like that, you know, this is a place where I can actually grow. This company is investing in me. I'm able respect, to see a trajectory. Yeah. The and so like that, that matters a lot to them. And if they don't see that, then like I'll go to the next. Yeah, but next it's funny because it still it all goes back to the top. Yeah. It is. It's like how those leaders are treating them, and then like you know if they aren't respected, they aren't valued, they don't feel like they are, then they're gonna go. You know, so you always got to make sure you're doing that. Yeah, I also think it's different when you're looking to hire too, and it used to be the mindset was, well, they stayed at this company for five, six, seven years, like you were just saying with the baby boomer generation. Whereas now, I feel like it's. That's not as impressive. It's it does. It, I feel like just for, uh, being in a position of someone who's who's hired. Yeah. I don't always care if you've been at a job now. If you've been at six different jobs for only two months of each, then it's sort of like okay, we have a problem yeah. here. Mm-hmm. But I just think that it feels like it's the tone of the nature of 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 work right yeah. now. Yeah, I think the the workforce definitely is changing and you know, the impact of artificial intelligence, which we've only scratched the surface of how AI is going to impact workforce development. Like we're, I don't even think we are really learning it. We're just kind of scratching the surface of what that might look like. Like I know I read read an article the other day um, where um, 
a thought leader was saying, like, he believes that AI is going to naturally create a four-day work week. And it's like, well, you, you could see that. Like, if I think of some of the things that used to take me two hours to do that now take 20 minutes, it's like, yep. whoa. Hey, man. You know, so you shouldn't it be is punished. I always say this, like, I learned this through video work because I, there was a point in time where I used to charge hourly. Mm-hmm. And then I got far more efficient. And I was like, well, hourly doesn't make sense because yeah. what used to take me three or four hours to edit now takes me 30 minutes just because I'm good doesn't mean I should make less money. Totally. But you think I should make more, I'm better. You know, it's the same thing. It's just because you can get everything that gets, you can get a whole week's worth of worth of work done in four days doesn't mean you should yeah. be punished and have to work that fifth day and just sit in your office and do nothing. Just yeah. so you're there. Just yep. to do it. Like, That's something I'm really know. proud of that we've done in the last year is kind of implement a four-day work week where Fridays were remote. And we always tell our team, we're like, if you don't have anything going on, I'm cool. Like, yeah. as long as there's no fire, I'm cool with as it. As long as, like, if you I have to ask you. a question about something, you know, just don't take three hours to respond. <laughs> yeah. Make it seem like you're working. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're not. But it's Make it seem so like true. It. And our industries are only going to continue getting more and more and more impacted by technology, technology positively. And yeah. like, let's, let's use that to our benefit. Okay. Well, as we're wrapping, um, selfish question, I want to know a day in the life of Brittany Cole. I would like to know what you do, how you go about your day, and, you know, we usually end our day on Instagram Live. I love hanging out with you over there. <laughs> so how do we <laughs> how do we start our day? And I'm sure every day is very different, but I'm just curious. Yeah, every day is definitely different. So I'll, I'll just take this week. So I, I recently joined this hot yoga, hot yoga studio out in East Nashville, and they nice. have this um, hot yoga class in the morning. So I'm either doing one of three things for some type of movement in the morning, that class, personal training, or we have like a Lululemon mirror at home. So I'll, I'll do that. Um, and then I like to do some type of devotional in the morning. So like for me, my mornings are like sacred. So I try, if I can, doesn't always work out this way, like meetings start at nine so that I can have my six to nine, whether that's like, you know, catching up on work, admin related stuff, doing my whole morning routine, some sort of movement, devotional, like easing into my day. Um, and then it really just depends. So like this week, um, Kirby Miller, shout out to her yesterday. Love I was her. with her. Yeah, she asked me, she's like, um, what's been the highlight of your week this week? And I, I sat there and I thought for a second, I'm like, well, the first three days of this week, I started my day getting to empower women. And so I had a, a women's group that I spoke with on Monday. And then the two days of, of working with Alliance Burnting Tuesday and Wednesday. And it was just such a joy. Like we had some of the similar conversations that we're having now, a lot of like, you know, how do you show up and thrive as a woman in a corporate setting and, and owning your career, your personal brand and all of that. So if there's some level of like, speaking virtually that I'm doing that's usually incorporated in my day. Um, from a weekly perspective, I try not to have meetings on Mondays. So like a no meetings Monday, which for me is time for instructional design, creating content, writing. I'm working on my second book right now. Wow. Um, and just other admin related things. Just like little things like <laughs> writing a book. I mean, it's, I feel like 
I don't know. I feel like my my pace has been slow, but I had to like wait on the divine download of like what I'm supposed to write. And I've got it. So I'm like, okay, Good. I'm going all yeah. in on this one. I'm really, really excited about it. So, um, so yeah, that's usually Mondays. And then Tuesday, Thursdays are usually client uh, facing days. Wednesdays is usually a client deliverable. So more like working with the team. And then Friday is like admin and catch up on what didn't happen throughout the week. So <laughs> That's usually what my week looks like. And then there's usually some level of like, you know, community involvement related type works. Like yesterday I went to um, Nashville Podcasters, had an event, went to that. Um, Professional development is sprinkled throughout the week. So I'm in a a mastermind right now called Traffic, Sales, and Profit. Um, We have a a touch point every Wednesday evening. And so, yeah, it's it's different. It's different. It's a toss-up, but it's usually a nice combination of like taking care of self, spending time with family, um, of course, all things entrepreneurship, and then um, spending time with the team to deliver for our clients. Awesome. Okay. Well, I want to have you back on when we, when the book comes out and I would love to like the divine download. That's so genius. It's so good. I love, I love that. I'm going to use that now. Cause I'm like, have a lot of things in my life where I'm like, I'm waiting for the divine <laughs> download to yes. hit me. Yes. Um, okay. Well, last question. We always ask our guests, what is your definition of a Renaissance woman? Oh, <laughs> I clearly did not read the, um, I don't think the I put sheet. that one on there. Cause that I was, was always the, it, the it, surprise. It's the surprise. It probably, if it was on there, I'm, you we know. want to get an authentic response. Yeah. Oh, the Renaissance woman, you know, Beyonce comes into my mind just cause the Renaissance tour, um, which I didn't see except for like snippets and filling the FOMO on social media, but I will catch the movie. But, um, the Renaissance woman, I believe that the Renaissance woman is the woman who has reinvented her life and career based on who she is and what she wants with purpose, courage, authenticity, and joy. So whatever that disruption moment is for you, typically disruption is connected to it where you look up and you're like, perhaps I'm living someone else's dream or perhaps I'm not you know, rising to the occasion of what I am dreaming to become or to do. And then you look up and you notice like, okay, I really want to go after this. Like I'm going to give this my all, whether it's entrepreneurship or whether it's showing up in a corporate context or nonprofit or a parent in your romantic relationships, whatever it looks like, but deciding to reinvent in a way that's in alignment with who you truly are, your purpose, your destiny. Like I believe that is the Renaissance woman like the woman that's walking boldly and authentically into purpose every day. Mm. That was a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. Mason, pull that sound bite. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Brittany, where can everyone follow you? I'm sure everyone already does. You're a fabulous follow on Instagram. I always get so many nuggets from your lives and like, I was literally like brushing my teeth the other night and had you like propped up in oh. my bathroom. I'm like, she's getting after it late. I'm going to bed right now. <laughs> it's probably like eight o'clock. I'm in this like um, 30 day challenge with an accountability partner. So we've been going live every day for 30 days, either on cool. LinkedIn or Instagram. So it, it's been challenging me. I'm like, listen, if I wasn't doing this with somebody, 
several days. Yeah. I would have I would have been off my thirty Smart. days. But um, no, you can you can stay tuned. Connect with me. Probably the best place is at careerthrivers.com forward slash podcast. So you can uh, tap into our podcast. There's also a free guide there around authentic leadership, and so it's a own your power checklist. And so it helps you to show up authentically to own your power to thrive in your career and business as a leader. So grab that guide and then tune in with us. Usually we drop an episode every Tuesday on the Career Thrivers podcast, soon to be the Thrive Together podcast. And so, yeah, check me out there and it, it'll it link you out to all the other things on LinkedIn and Instagram. Awesome. That's Thank great. you so much for Thank coming on for our show, Brittany. Awesome. Thank y'all. I need soon. 